Hello, hello, and welcome to the Dear Nikki podcast, where I do my best to give you amazing advice, actionable advice, great advice, helpful, hopefully, advice (laughs) on anything user research related, whether it's about your career, stakeholder management, some struggles that you're having within your day-to-day work. I am here to help answer your questions to the best of my ability and hopefully inspire you to try something new or at least help you out with something that you're struggling with. So, hello, welcome to the podcast today. Excited to be here. Must admit, it's noon and I've drank a lot of caffeine today and it's just not really working out for me. (laughs) It hasn't hit me yet and I can't drink any more caffeine. I can't drink caffeine afternoon in general and I don't think that I can drink any more. And I'm very scared that what's going to happen is 8, 9 p.m. tonight will roll around and I will be off the walls. (laughs) I do try and go to bed early around 9, which is, yeah, at at this age, quite acceptable, I feel. (laughs) But I do try and go to bed pretty early because I'm up early in the morning and I'm just very concerned about the fact that the caffeine hasn't hit yet and it's noon. So maybe I just won't have my like afternoon slump, you know, that 2, 3, 4 p.m. slump. Maybe I'll just coast right through that. But I'm I'm definitely very tired right now. Anyways, I hope you are doing well. We're going to really ramp it up with this podcast episode today. Maybe that'll give me some energy. We have a great question and I'm super, super excited to answer it. So let's go ahead and just dive right in. The question that we have today is, do you have any tips on how to better la- better utilize quantitative research results? I'm not really a huge fan of quantitative research. That's fine. I totally understand. I'm very much a qualitative researcher, but I know that there is great value in both methods. Part of me doesn't know how to use quantitative research results outside of the usual. The success rate was X percentage, so let's think of ways to increase that. I, I get the feeling that there has to be some other way to utilize those results and insights better, and I'm sure there is. I would love some guidance or insight on that. Really awesome question. Good for you for admitting this. It's hard to admit the things that we aren't good at, and it can be difficult to raise your hand and say, I know I can be doing this better, and I'm not. How do I do this better? (laughs) So good on you for that. For a really long time, I just ignored quantitative research, which is not good. (laughs) But I did because I was scared of it because I didn't understand it. And I did do my master's in psych and I had some stats background from undergrad and from from my master's degree. And I did do quantitative research within the scope of both of those situations. But it's like as soon as I left my master's program and started researching as a user researcher, I ran as far away from quantitative research as I possibly could because it was scary. It was confusing. I particularly do not like numbers. Numbers really intimidate me. Math in general really, really intimidates me. I've always struggled with math throughout my entire life. And so it felt really comfy in that qualitative researcher scope to sit there, right? And to just use words use interviews, use qualitative methods. It felt really comfy to do that and to just call myself a qualitative researcher so that I could almost shun quantitative research and I didn't have to engage with it. But as you said here, 
as a researcher, as a user researcher, there is a lot of value in mixed methods research, right? Or in exploring quantitative research, especially if we think about how the job landscape is right now and how user research is evolving. Mixed methods research, I believe, is something that should be more commonplace and that as researchers, even as qualitative user researchers, we should be able to use some quantitative methods. This doesn't mean that you need to become a full-on mixed methods researcher. doesn't mean that you need to know all the quantitative stuff. I truly still believe in specializations, right? So as an individual, I am a qualitative user researcher. That doesn't mean that I can't do some quantitative research, but my expertise expertise and depth of knowledge in quantitative research is far more shallow than a pure quali- a quantitative researcher and maybe even more shallow than a mixed methods researcher i would assume because i identify as a qualitative researcher and that's where my depth of knowledge is is really within that qualitative research space. However, again, I do believe that to do our research justice as qualitative researchers, we do need to incorporate some quantitative research into the mix, either ourselves or we need to partner with quantitative researchers to combine our powers because as you said, there is great value in marrying the two, right? So it depends on if you're working with a quantitative or a mixed methods researcher. That can really help with you understanding how to get more involved in quant research and how to use quant research within your qualitative projects. That's something that I really, really, really highly recommend if you have any sort of quant researchers on your team. You can also talk to any kind of quant role, data analytics, product analytics, BI, so business intelligence. So really looking at data science as well. There's a slew of others, roles that I'm probably missing, but generally speaking, you can also speak to more quant-oriented roles and get a bit of an understanding of how quant might work with your research. So if you have those roles within your organization, I really recommend reaching out to them and talking through what quantitative research is and what quant is in general, because I feel like sometimes what can happen, and at least what has happened to me and I've seen happen with other researchers, is we just don't understand what it is. And sometimes when we don't understand what something is, we get overwhelmed or nervous about it. And so we don't know how to apply it to our work. So therefore, we just don't really use it to its full potential. So my first recommendation is talk to people about what quant is, not only just quantitative user research, but quant in general, right? Metrics, analytics, those types of quantitative methods and information, right? Talk to people who understand that. One of the first things that I did when I was trying to expand my quantitative understanding and knowledge is I went to, I was very, very lucky to have an amazing data analyst uh, and product analyst that I could work with and just understand from their perspective what they were doing. What are analytics? What are metrics? What are we measuring? Why are we measuring it? And then understanding how that could work within the scope of my research. 
right? So just understanding it better, right? Getting a little bit more familiar with what quant actually is, even outside of the scope of user research. That would be my first point of recommendation for you to go out and understand quant in general. Now, when it comes to user research and quantitative methodologies or approaches, I I usually don't only do quant and I try not to now only do qual. So I try to look at a more mixed methods approach because marrying the, these two approaches together is super, super helpful on so many different levels. So let me talk through the three main ways that I tend to combine qual and quant data and maybe some ways for you to start incorporating quant research into your toolkit beyond you know the success rate that we might see in, let's say, a quantitative user research test. So there are three main ways to combine uh, these two approaches into a mixed methods approach. I do the first two. I don't really do the third one because that's a bit too advanced for me personally, uh, but let's go through them. So we have first explanatory sequential design. That means quantitative analysis or research comes first and it's followed up by qualitative research. Okay. So we get the quantitative data first up and then we use qualitative research to further explain and interpret the results from the quant data, right? So let's say we start with a survey to collect quant data from a larger group, right? So we are, we're trying to understand some sort of behavior or usage or thought process through a larger scale. We would maybe send out a survey first, and then we would drill down with interviews afterwards to explain the answers that we found on this larger scale because normally quantitative data can tell us what's happening and somewhat struggles to tell us why it's happening in a very nuanced, deep way. So that's why following up with qualitative gives us that why. So that's explanatory sequential design where it's quant then qual. Exploratory sequential design, it starts with the qual and then follows up with quantitative research. So we could very easily invert what we just did, where we start with interviews to understand mental models behind something, to understand perceptions, to deeply generate deep insights about users' thought processes, their journeys, even potentially personas, and we can follow up with a survey, let's say, to further understand how those insights are reflected in a larger population, right? So we understand the why first, the the deeper why behind something's happening first, and then we try to understand the impact on a larger population. So are our insights reflected at and a larger population, right, with that, with that survey. The last one is convergent parallel design, and that's collecting qualitative data and quantitative data simultaneously and independently. They're analyzed separately and then compared to 
kind of cross-validate or confirm findings. I do not use convergent parallel design often because for me, it's a bit too advanced. I really prefer either the exploratory sequential or explanatory sequential design. That's just a personal preference. I haven't done enough convergent parallel design to properly understand it. There are many people who do this. And I I think convergent parallel design could be such a great method and approach because it is faster, right? So you're collecting both at once. You're also analyzing things separately and then cross-validating to make sure that there's no bias that has happened, right? So since the qual and quant are collected simultaneously and independently, you have less of a potential for bias on either the qual or the quant side. Obviously, starting with interviews is going in an exploratory sequential design. If you start with the qual interviews, it's going to inform your quantitative study, right? So there is a potential for bias in that quantitative portion, same other way around. If you start with a survey, right, that's going to inform what you might follow up with in a qualitative interview. Right? So there is some bias there with, where convergent parallel design tries to take that kind of bias out. And again, it is faster, more efficient. But I would say if you're new to mixed methods and trying to incorporate some quant into your qualitative toolkit, either explanatory or exploratory sequential design is a good place to start. Okay. So when it comes to more quantitative methods beyond just success rates of, let's say, quantitative user research tests. There are many other ways to utilize quantitative research results to help us with improving some sort of part of the experience or help us with understanding better what to prioritize and what to maybe think about a bit more. So, Let's run through some ways to incorporate quant into the qualitative process beyond just task success. Because whereas I'm I'm a huge fan of quantitative usability tests, so measuring task success, measuring time on task, measuring satisfaction, huge, huge fan of it. But I think that there are many other ways for us to incorporate quantitative research into our into our qual process that can inform many other things beyond just as you said task success. So great that you're doing that, but there are many other ways to to incorporate the quant. So first things first, as I said before, getting into kind of product analytics. So using product analytics to help define and scope qualitative products, uh, projects. Sorry about that. So for instance, let's, let's say that we're looking at some, we're going into some product analytics. We're working at an e-commerce. E-commerce is, is a lot easier for examples, but we're looking at an e-commerce-based product. And we are looking at certain usage analytics. So let's say that we are looking at drop-off rates and we go through Google Analytics is a very common tool that a lot of people use. And 
we're seeing a high drop-off rate in some on on a certain page, right? And it's an important page for us, let's say. It is our checkout page, right? Because that is a very, very important page. We are seeing a huge drop-off rate, okay? So people are abandoning their carts essentially at a very high rate. If we're looking into this, and this is a very, this is an explanatory sequential design, so the quant is coming first. If we are looking at these types of analytics, these usage analytics, these really important product analytics, and we're seeing, huh, this looks not great, that can inform us to go in and understand better why that might be happening. Is there a bug that's happening? Should we do a usability test? Is there something that we're missing? with this page that's freaking people out so they're not converting, right? Is there what is happening? So why we're seeing what's happening. There's a drop-off rate. Why is it happening, right? So looking into this kind of quantitative analytic, usage analytics, uh, product, product analytics can really help you with then following up with really pointed qualitative research, right? So that is not really using quant in in the more this percentage of people did not you know complete the task successfully it's using it as a way to help inform you of what you can follow up with right so it's it's an it's an informative piece of quantitative research where you can follow up and collect qualitative data based on that to inform why so that you can then improve upon whatever is happening there. So getting to know the important product analytics and the important metrics for your different teams can then help you look into these metrics, see if anything's going on, and then follow up with qualitative research to know why it's happening so that you can then improve it, right? Another explanatory sequential design like we talked about is starting with surveys. So getting comfortable with surveys is really, really important when it comes to incorporating more quant, right? Uh, Because surveys can help us on both sides, the explanatory and the exploratory. But starting with a survey to understand more broadly what's happening with your audience right what are they thinking what tools are they using you know what what is their usage behavior for for certain features or for certain actions that they do certain behaviors that they have understanding that more broad scope can then help you say okay you know let's let's take let's take a really concrete example here let's say that we are trying to understand how many times uh, people play board games per week because we <laughs> I love using board games because I love board games personally uh, we're a board game a e-commerce site and we're trying to understand how often people are playing board games per week uh, because this can uh, better yet actually how many times per mm, six months three or six months I'm trying to decide. How many times per per three months are people buying a new board game? Because we want to understand in terms of purchasing behavior, right, how often we might be pushing new board games out to people. Should we be pushing them every week? Should we be pushing it biweekly? Should we be pushing it once a month? Hey, board game of the month, try it out, right? 
Or could we even maybe incorporate, maybe we're thinking about incorporating a try it for free, come come into our shop. I know this is a bit weird. Come into our shop and try a board game. If you try it and buy it there, it's 50% off. So should we be offering that monthly, bi-weekly, right? So as you can see, there are a lot of different questions that we could be asking and we could say, okay, should we dive right into qual research? Probably not. Right. Because if we're going to go, because qual research has small sample sizes. And if we're going to go ask, you know, 12, 15 people how often they purchase board games, we're not going to get a lot out of that from an interview standpoint. So, actually, going first to our larger scale quantitative research methods of, of a survey, we can understand that better from that perspective of saying, okay, from our from our larger standpoint at three months, we're seeing that people generally buy board games once a month, new board games once a month. Not my husband. He buys them like every day. But that then, that kind of result from our quant can say, okay, we are looking at this whole once a month kind of ordeal of people buying board games. Let's then do qual research to understand more, you know, why they're doing this. You know, what's pushing them? What's motivating them? What's triggering them, right? So there we go in using, again, quantitative research to inform our qual research. So really, really awesome way to do an explanatory sequential design. And I often find that qualies tend to not do explanatory sequential design. So we tend to always start with qual and then follow up with quant, right? It's fine. We all do it. If 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 you are guilty of this, I feel you. It's what I did for the longest time. But I really recommend trying to push yourself for explanatory sequential design and trying that out whenever it's applicable. So then we have the flip side of exploratory sequential design where we are looking at the qualitative side first and then we're following up with quant kind of research. So this is hugely helpful. A lot of times what I have seen is we'll do a big qual study, we'll come out with a bunch of really great insights and then it's like, where do we start? (laughs) You know, how do we know which one is most important? How do we know which one is going to be most impactful to start with? How do we know which one is going to bring us the best ROI immediately, right? So, and then teams are sitting there kind of almost a paralysis, an analysis paralysis. Like we have too many choices, right, of where we could potentially go, how we could potentially improve or innovate on our product that we just sit there. And I've seen this happen because I have led many projects where I stopped with qual and teams are kind of sitting there saying, okay, there's a lot of really great stuff here, but a lot of it is pretty big. Where should we start? And this is where follow-up surveys like the Opportunity Gap Survey, which looks at the gap between the level of importance of an insight and the level of current satisfaction of that insight right? Whereas the big gap, biggest gap between them, if somebody is saying this this insight or this feature is very important and I'm currently very dissatisfied with it, that's where we would start, right? That opportunity gap right there where it's very important to somebody and they are currently very dissatisfied, that is for you to bring back to your team, hey, this is, this is a prioritized insight, right? So I think 
trying to think of ways to help teams prioritize these qual insights is super important as a follow-up using quantitative as a follow-up to these big qual studies. So I highly recommend using that kind of method or approach with mixed methods research of the qual, the big qual study and the quant follow-up to prioritize your, your findings. So those are some ways to incorporate the mixed methods research. I really highly recommend that you feel very familiar with and get really comfortable with writing surveys. I'll link to some survey resources in this particular uh, for for this particular episode, uh, and those will be in the podcast resources section. So get familiar with surveys. <laughs> that is the most helpful thing that uh, you can do. Now, when it comes to more pure, I'm, I'm doing air quotes, but nobody can see me, pure quantitative research methods, there are several things that you can do outside of the task success. So you mentioned, you know, and I'm assuming it's a more quantitative usability test where you're measuring how successful people are on given tasks. Yes, that is very, again, that is very great. I love that you're doing that. More people should do quant user research, uh, sorry, quant usability tests, I believe. Gosh, I am really tired today. I keep making mistakes, so I apologize. <laughs> but my, it's like my brain is a few seconds behind <laughs> what I'm saying, and I'm just trying to scramble. But I think more people should do quantitative usability testing for these kinds of success metrics for task success because it is very positive in showcasing this whole people did not do well because usability is a, it's just such a foundational thing. And when we can visualize the fact that people didn't do well on a task, it is a lot easier sometimes for teams to say, uh-oh, we're, nobody's able to actually do this. So kudos to you again for doing that side. But there are other things when it comes to the more pure user research, quantitative user research side that we can do. So we have the task success. I would also say time on task, if you're not already doing it, is really interesting because it gives you an indicator of how long a task is taking somebody and it can lead to optimization of flows, right? So you can report on, hey, the time on task is currently this, right? Let's say we have we have a task and we've we've said, so something that you have to do is you have to define your optimal time on task, right? But let's say that we have defined this optimal time on task of a minute and 30 seconds, but on average, people are taking three minutes, right? They're taking double the amount of time, okay? Where can we optimize our flows to make it that time on task, that average time on task closer to the ideal that we believe in, right? So time on task is is very, very important in optimizing your flows and making your experience efficient, right? So the three cornerstones of usability being uh, effectiveness, so the task success, efficiency, so the time on task, and satisfaction, which I'm going to get to in a second. So you sound like, and I'm, I'm assuming you, I don't know if you've done efficiency, so time on task, but you're covering the effectiveness side of task success. What another layer you could do is that efficiency side of time on task. So what's our optimum 
or ideal time on task for these different tasks and what is the average user doing, right? So that's something that I would highly recommend. Then we get to satisfaction, which is a very, very interesting area to think about. A lot of people talk about the NPS, but I am not a huge fan of the NPS. I will link to a resource on the NPS and why I'm not a huge fan. But something else that you can measure when it comes to this uh, usability in general, including efficiency, effectiveness, and satisfaction, is using things like the SUS, so the system usability scale. You can also use the single ease questionnaire, the SEQ, and you can also use the UMUX or the UMUX Lite, right? And I think, oh, I always forget this, what the UMUX stands for. It's like the user experience metric, <sighs> usability metric for user experience. I don't know. There's a lot of letters in there that I can't always remember. But uh, recently, people have been using the UMUX or the UMUX Lite Instead of the SUS, that is because the UMUX is four different questions. The UMUX light is two different questions, whereas the SUS is a t- 10 questions. So it's up to you. But something else that you can measure is the UMUX or UMUX light or SUS, whatever you feel like doing there. And that can show you over time, right, uh, how people are operating when it comes to the usability and satisfaction of, of your particular product. So that brings me kind of to my next point of measuring these things over time. So you had talked about, hey, task success, we can improve it. But something that a lot of researchers don't tend to do is measure these things over time, which I call benchmarking, right? And it's a pretty common to call it benchmarking in our field. So benchmarking over time tells you, are we actually improving the task success? Are we actually improving the time on task? Are we actually improving the satisfaction of our product over time, right? So that's a very important thing to continue to do because I see a lot of researchers, and I I did this myself, where I would just measure it once and then never again. In the in the hopes that we did something to improve it, but measuring these things over time, so benchmarking them, can show the improvements that we've made and still the improvements that we need to continue on with, right? So if we see, let's say over time, our task success was fifty percent and our time on task was three minutes, right? So that was double the optimum. And 50% task rate, uh, task success is not great. Let's say that we we do it again and we see, okay, now we're at 65% task success and we're at two minutes and 45 seconds. So we've done some good stuff, but we clearly need to further optimize what's happening, right? And let's say uh, I'm not going to try and come up with UMUX or SUS scores off the top of my head because that's not going to be very helpful for anybody. But let's say that our SUS or UMUX scores do improve, but not not hugely, right? So we can see we're making incremental progress, but we still have to continue to optimize for our task success and our time on task and our UMUX SUS scores. So I recommend doing some benchmarking over time for something like this because I think that that will actually make 
maybe maybe make you feel better about the fact that you're continuously reporting on task success because you can actually see, okay, it used to be that. We're here now, but we're trying to get to this like 80% task success rate and a minute and a half time on task and whatever UMOX or SUS score would feel comfortable for you for your organization. So over time then, you're showcasing and demonstrating the incremental progress and that you still have progress to make. So maybe that would also help that the task success doesn't feel as, I don't know, like this one time only, let's just like improve this like general thing. But you're saying, okay, we we have these issues. We're implementing this. We retest. Okay, we see some improvement, but we need to also do this, this, and this. We improve those things. We retest. Okay, we're getting closer, right? So maybe that would also help with either motivating people or showing people over time how this progress is being made. And then again, we also have some quantitative user research in general that we can do. So things like benchmark, uh, sorry, not benchmarking, ball benchmarking, which I did talk about. We have things like tree testing, which is really great. Card sorting can go definitely go under uh, quantitative user research. We have first click tests, right? So a lot of these have to do with information architecture, but these are really great quantitative user research methods that you should absolutely be practicing and trying out within your toolkit because those are very quant-focused and can give very specific feedback to your teams about how your product, website, or app is structured and how to then improve that kind of structure. So I would say looking into those types of quant research uh, would be really helpful for you to like open up that toolkit beyond just that quantitative usability testing. So our doorbell is about to go off and Poncho is in the room with me because my husband isn't here and he's very sad. Uh, so I apologize if we get the uh, odd, very loud bark, but I'm going to try and wrap this up before he starts barking. <laughs> but I hope that that was helpful kind of incorporating quantitative user research into the qual space a little bit more, uh, you know, uh, in a more helpful way beyond just that task success. And I'm going to link to some more resources on those quantitative methods, but there's plenty of information out there on card sorting, on tree testing, on first click testing that I really recommend you read up on or partner with a quant user researcher on because those are really great um, low-hanging fruit methods. Card sorting is a little bit more difficult, but tr uh, tree testing is a really great low-hanging fruit method, first-click testing as well, to really get yourself into this quant space beyond just that quant usability testing. So anyways, here we are, 35 minutes. I'm really pushing it with this doorbell. Uh, I hope that that was helpful, and I hope that, yeah, that, that um, particular – kind of walk through of exploratory, explanatory, sequential design, going beyond just the effectiveness of, of quant user usability testing, and then incorporating other methods such as uh, those, those more quant-based methods of tree testing, first-click testing, card sorting. I hope that that's helpful. Really just try and experiment as much as you can. Get to feel more comfortable about what quant is in general. And yeah, just start feeling like you can be empowered to do this just because you're a qual researcher doesn't mean you can't do this stuff. Oh no. 
Oh, oh no, we're okay. Well, no, we're not okay. I apologize. Unfortunately, there's nothing I can do to control him. But Poncho says hi. <laughs> Clearly. Please stop, Poncho. Okay. Well, we tried. Uh, anyways, I hope that the, that this has been helpful into getting you to maybe see that there are different avenues into this quant user research kind of approach and these methods. Uh, so I do highly recommend you trying it out and feeling more comfortable. But try and do it out also like in a low stakes environment. So that might mean that maybe don't take the most important project and start applying quant user research methods for the first time. Try and find some other like low stakes projects maybe that you could try an explanatory sequential design or try tree testing or try first click testing. You can also try and get yourself set up to run your own random personal tests. I know that Optimal Workshop, which I'm a huge fan of, they do some free trials and they have, I believe they have almost everything that I talked about, tree testing, card sorting. I think they have first click testing, but don't, I can't promise that. But uh, you can get set up on a free trial and run like your own study just to see how it works. I know a lot of people who have tried that out uh, just with friends and family, just to, just to get a little bit more comfortable and familiar with these methods before you might try them at work, right? So Awesome. I hope that's helpful. Thank you so much for the question. I love answering these and I am looking forward to the next ones. Please don't forget to submit any questions that you have and I will talk to you soon. Thanks.